1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Wednesday War College, my name is Jess Romero. I'm here with Dr. Dan Schneider, and I think uh, we're going to be getting Kyle Clement any time soon. Just want to men- mention that June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. This happened in 1693. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque had the first of four visions where our Lord Jesus Christ exposed his heart, burning with love for his people. Uh, the month of June is a good time to consecrate yourself and your family to the Sacred Heart of Jesus by doing the Sacred Heart Home Enthronement. This way you're telling the world that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of your home, your marriage, and your family. Dan, welcome to the show, my friend. I don't hear Dan. I don't hear Dan. So let me just... All right, I'm on. I'm on. I think Kyle's on as well, but I'm with you. Okay. Hey, got it. Hey, Dan, uh, real quick, uh, when's your book coming out, my friend? It's uh, supposed to come out. There, it might be as early as next week, but they're they're saying at the, by the end of the month. If you can pre-order now, uh, you'll have it. Hopefully by the end of the by the first of first of July, you should have it. So uh, what, what? you go on to Tan. Just type in Libra Cristo Tan or Tan Books Libra Cristo, or my name, and it will come up. Uh, if you t- if you put in Libra Cristo twenty five as a discount code, you can get a discount on your pre-ordering uh, off off the book. So. But yeah, so Dan, real, real quick, what, what does the book contain? A, a quick overview of the book. What does it contain? It's it's basically a su- it's basically a summary of of a lot of the theology of Father Ripperger, uh, and it's and it's uh, the embedded phase two of the four phase protocol that Father Ripperger developed with with Kyle Clement, and it's a practical hands on manual giving giving tactical advice on how to deal with the diabolic. It's we're using it with cases. Uh, um, uh, and various teams across the country, but it's also awesome. written for anybody that wants to read it and and just go deeper in their spiritual life. It's a catechetical deep dive. It's a gen- it's it's a it's a, uh, a general confession deep dive, covering twelve p- specific lessons to help you uncover areas that you have perhaps given permission to the diabolic in your life. Areas of of psychological trauma that's creating an enmeshment with the demon. Uh, areas of de- defect. How to develop how to develop the proper virtue and response. How to pray. I keyed the, the I keyed each lesson to to the deliverance prayers for use used by the laity of Father Ripperger. So you learning some of the stuff that you and Kyle are doing on the program. What's the logic behind these prayers? Uh, when to use these prayers? So I worked those in there as well. So it's kind of a broad overview. It's a, it's a it's a practical, uh, hands-on, uh, um, tactical manual. Uh, summarizing the theology of Father Ripperger and his book Dominion in the, in the psychology of mental health, as well as the practical experience of our good friend, uh, Kyle Clement. Dan, you're going to put all the exorcists in the U.S. out of work when you teach That's all the these. Goal. Make- <laughs> uh, my goal is, is, look, this is the goal. I want these guys, the exorcist should be the Maytag repairman. And I've even heard complaints that some <laughs> priests are like, well, that means what do we get to do? You get to do what you do, right? You do the priestly thing, but let the people work their own way through this uh, uh, sacramentally and prayerfully first. So it does, that doesn't eliminate 
the the need for the priesthood obviously uh what it does is it prepares the person for a greater receptivity of the graces that the church is offering all this really is if you understand the church's uh the the sacred the the, uh, sacra sacramental theology ex opere operato and ex opere operantis right objective grace is conferred to the sacraments but it but but the reception of that grace depends upon my own subjectivity my own preparation so what this does is it helps the soul be more receptive both to the grace offered through the sacrament of confession the holy eucharist merit the, the sacramental marriage and also to receive more and more more receptivity when they go to if they go to prayer which is we call our phase three which is minor exorcism prayer done by any priest that's the that's part of the priestly charism so this taps into that that there's there's a deep theology underneath this that 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 is pre assumed and i do do some some footnoting and mentioning of that but what this does is it gives the the lay faithful a tool a weapon uh, uh, uh to fight back uh, and and it supports the work of the local priest. So I wrote this actually one day I was waiting waiting after daily mass from my my pastor. We were going to have a, a breakfast, and I watched him as he was breaking down the altar and all that. Uh, um, and I thought I need to write a book for this guy, for the average parish priest, yes, the right, soldier that that can say take this book and go work this stuff. And come back to me in a month, and we'll and we'll and, and we'll do another deep dive confession. Yeah, so I can awesome. Throw it with that guy in mind. Good job, Kyle. What do you got going on uh, with uh, with Monte Cristo? The audience wants to know what Kyle Clemens doing. Oh, thanks, Jesse. I um, I don't want to I don't want to bypass this opportunity uh, to blow a little bit on that same horn. This book that Dan that is coming out uh, with Tan, this is a this is a long work. It's been a long time in process. There's been a tremendous amount of effort into it. Dan does a fantastic job taking um, the experience um, that Father Ripperger and I have had, the SMD, the formation of the protocol, all the underlying um, theology and and function of it. This is functional theology. And I think that it, it returns this whole area and discussion to Catholic norms. It takes it out of the errors of modernism and relativism. Um, it takes it out of the idea of the lay priesthood and all of these other things, which militate against the integrity of our faith. And Dan's done a, a great job in making this a very functional weapon, a very functional method um, methodology. And though it's we use it in phase two uh this is a pre-cana course this is an rcia course this is basic catholic theology without the misunderstanding and modern relative equivocation um it takes those ancient patristic voices and it says here's what they said and here's what the way it works in real life um ultimately things are not the way we may think they are or want them to be they are the way they are and the demon yields to truth and he yields to reality um and so that is brought home evermore and the idea that there is a ranking of voices and sources saint thomas is the angelic doctor of the church and so when he speaks in certain areas that are definitive um that is the definitive answer it's the answer to which we are bound and no matter what type of modern um, insertion that is popular, um, 
it it's got to pass the test of tradition and so that is one of the the things i really want to say about this book uh father ripperger certainly highly endorses this book he had great amount of contribute to, uh, contribution to this book um and i think it's a great resource for the catholic church in general to to bring us back to catholic norms and to bring us back to the understanding of this is the way this really works uh this is not the hollywood version this is not the fantastic version it's not the cartoon version it's not the pixar version this is reality this is this is the way it really works and so i had to take that opportunity to to plug yeah. the book and plug it hard if, if, you, me, if you only buy one book this year let me add, let me kyle let me add something kyle um you know we've been beta testing this kyle and i and we've got teams in different parts of the country that are beta, te beta testing in a sense this the the various drafts and working this in the field and we had a guy that uh uh whose wife was was afflicted and they, his wife was a tradition was went to a traditional uh latin mass parish the the husband was a belonged to a different you know protestant organization protestant church didn't didn't want to do any of this stuff they finally after a couple of failed failed starts decided okay i'll do these prayers i'll, I'll do the prayer discipline and i'll go through this manual and Kyle, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, what the, the catechist team reported was that after the second or third lesson, this was divided up into 12 lessons, this guy, uh, the husband, I think he was a former Marine or former military, and uh, he picked up an, a lot of the militaristic language, the, the, the martial language that I use in this book, Rogers Rangers, um, you know, the, the, the David and Goliath, and some of the patristic understanding of the cross as a sword, etc. And he went into the 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 the, the pastor of uh, the Catholic Church and said, "I want to be. I, I demand to be baptized and, and hear my confession. I want to be received in the Catholic Church." So the priest of this this traditional priest added some did some supplementation to it, but used this manual as as a uh, catechetical tool to bring this guy into the church. And his wife, if I recall, has has since found liberation uh, just by working through this. That's why I say when we say that we want to make the uh, the exorcist, we want to make their job easy. We want to make them the Maytag repairman. If you remember those commercials from the '80s, we want to we, we don't want to put them out of business, but we, we don't want to overwork them. We, we we want the lay people to go back and do the spade work themselves and and come to the reality of how can I defeat the enemy? The reality is we can do it. We can have success on this battlefield. We just have to return to to tradition and 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 go back to it, that old that old school religion. Give me that old time religion, if you recall that song. Going back to that, because as Kyle says, and I quote this in the book, we fight an ancient the ancient and the ancient weapons are best. Good stuff. That's precisely right, Dan. Precisely right, Dan. I, you are exactly right. And the thing is, is this whole genre, this whole area has been inundated with contradictions with modernist relativists we've got charismatic leaders of ecumenical communities who propose to um, liberate catholics we've got hermit monks with blogs and a political presence who have a voice we've got um, malformed single female non-affiliated theologians we've got all kinds of suspect voices Dan's drawing heavily on 25 years of experience in exorcism. And this is a field that if you've done this for 25 years and survived, then you probably ought to listen to what Father Ripperger has to say. Hold that you, thought, you probably ought to Hold that thought, my friend. War College, we'll be right back. Jess Romero, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement, we'll be right back. Stick around.
Wednesday War College. A lot of people uh, anticipate this show. Uh, Jess Romero, Carl Clement, Dan Schneider. Just want to move on to another topic. Question from the audience. I want to hear from Dan. I want to hear from Kyle. They want to know if there is a a demon attached to the transgender movement. If 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 there is diabolical underpinnings to the transgender movement. Uh, any one of you guys want to take that first question? Dan, jump on it, Dan. Yeah, I'll jump on it. Uh, maybe Kyle's not with us. Um, okay. Yeah, we, we a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the the very the very beginning of the essence of man as created in the image and likeness of God, uh, in the imago dei, the image of God that. In Genesis one twenty seven, male and female he created them, and, and, and theologically we see that in the, the sexual distinctions there is a reflection of God. Uh, we reflect somehow. He said, "Let us create them in our image." So we see somewhere in the Trinitarian unity a completeness in the com- in, in the complementarity of male and female. We reflect something about God. Um, and, and also, this points to the fact that there are two fundamental ways of being human. So, so um, the binary gender is fundamental to what it means to be human. The demon is constantly militating against uh, uh, our humanity. Um, and, and so St. So, uh, Augustine, for example, doctor of the church, says that inasmuch as the mind itself is the image of God, he is capable of God, capax dei. He is able, he is apt, suitable for, can conceal, has a right to inheritance. And so this is the essence of who we are. So this this particular uh, diabolic uh, inversion of transgenderism um, distorts this by saying that androgyny, right? This androgynous uh, uh, that is male and female, andros, uh, gunai, or gunos, uh, uh, gune, um, the two Greek words meaning uh, male, female, um, this dual gendered is more godlike. It, it's in, in their distorted thinking. This is a more pure form, a more godlike form, distorted uh, form of living. In Deuteronomy 22:5, uh, we see a, a, a for a, a for in the middle of all these various seemingly random prescriptions, um, the holiness code for Israel as part of the giving of the law. It's, it forbids cross dressing. A man shall not put on the garb of a woman or a woman that of a man. And this is part of the, the, as they're leaving Egypt, remember, as they're leaving Egypt, this is a response to Egyptian practices to a certain goddess named Shaushka, who had the power in their, in their, in their, in their uh, um, theological understanding, she had the power to change genders. We see the various forms of this throughout the Old Testament, the Asherah, the Ishtar, etc. Even the very beginning of, of uh, Exodus 1.11, when the taskmasters were set over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor, and it mentions two cities. One of the cities there is was was dedicated. The city of Pithom is dedicated to Atum, the androgynous he/she uh, 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 god. This this androgynous male/female god, that, which they this was to be would later be picked up as the creator god of Gnosticism. We see this in the Nag Hammadi so, uh, scrolls, and so in this cult. Uh, um, this is this is a bisexual God who begets through his self-generation of begetting through the dual genders. I won't get into the details of what their of what their belief structures were, but he was also known as the great masturbator uh, 
and the pharaohs and the pharaohs in Egypt were considered descendants of this god. And so this is this is the pantheon. This is this is part of the pantheon of false gods that Israel was was enslaved enslaved to. And so when this is the context behind the the pro, prohibition in Genesis twenty, I mean Exodus twenty two. Deuteronomy 22.5. From cross-dressing, so, right? Cross-dressing. So we uh, see at the very beginning of the, the, the Israel as a nation where their identity goes all the way back to, you know, uh, man's, man and woman's identity as reflection. Israel themselves, right, were, were, were seen as the bride of God, the, the giving a law of Sinai, the, the wash yourselves. And on the third day, I will reveal let, my... Dan, let me jump in. Let me ask you a question. That makes yeah. sense now because I've read that verse many, many times about uh you know in in the in the first five books where god moses tells people don't dress men don't dress like women women don't dress like men well that didn't make sense to me i said well they all wore they all wore tunics back then that doesn't make sense you just gave the historical context of that verse now it makes complete sense if there were if there was these demons these androgynous demons that are trying to get people to change their gender now it makes sense why moses told the jews Hey, men, don't dress like women. Hey, women, don't dress like men. That makes complete sense now what you said. W without the context, that verse didn't make much sense to me. And re remember, too, when Israel, the, the golden calf incident or the golden bowl, this, the, this was, this was, this was the, uh, an apis, APIS, apis ritual to the god of fertility. The, this, this, is, this, this god of fertility, this, is, this, this was part of this whole cult of transgendered beings seeing as a reflection of a transgendered or bigendered, dual gendered, non-gendered God, right? So the, he, the, the great he, she, the great masturbator through whose own self-generation, uh, because he's both gendered, as opposed to the true understanding of the true God who revealed himself to Israel. So this is the, that, that's a historical context. I found this pr pr pretty interesting. Oh yeah, it, it, it just it may, it brings the scripture alive completely. For for Moses just telling the Israelites, "Hey, don't dress like uh, guys. Don't dress like women. Women don't dress like men." It, it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense until you went in, into that deep dive. Kyle, are you there? I'm here, Jess. Want to want to get your take uh, on uh, this? Uh, the question is from from somebody in the audience. Uh, they want to know if uh, the transgender movement has diabolical underpinnings. Dan gave some deep historical ones. What can you add to this, Kyle? Well, it's certainly Dan's answer is very complete, very historical, um, and again, lays a good foundation. So I appreciate that. Uh, the, when you say, is there a particular demon? There are a whole class, a whole lot of demons from multiple choirs that are involved in any particular disorder. And so what you look at is who are the, the heavy hitters and the heavy hitters in this particular area are number one, Belial. And so when you hear the story of the um, martyrdom of John the Baptist, the beheading of John the Baptist, um, it is because of the dance of Herodia. And so Herodia um, dances the dance of Belial. This is where um, a dancer dresses androgynously where you can't tell a sex um, but is the success of the dance is the ability to arouse both male and female. If you were to ask a man, he would say that's a woman. If you ask a woman, you would say it's a man. And so that is the dance of Belial. It is uh, perversion mm. and sexual uh, stimulation. Um, 
from an androgynous standpoint. And originally, this was the um, this was the old transvestite. This was the um, the drag queens that you would see in in um, um, New Orleans on the in the French Quarter. This was the ones who would do the burlesque show, and you didn't know if it was a man or a woman, but it was highly sexualized. And so that's Belial, stimulation for the sake of stimulation, all within that. But the the heaviest hitter in this, the heaviest hitter, and the transgender, all of that movement, all the alphabet soup, the heavy hitter is Bafohamet. Look at his image. Mm-hmm. He has an animal head, he has a woman torso, and he has a male lower half. And you are seeing iconically the depiction of what is plaguing our nation. And it's plaguing our nation, not the world. This is not happening around the world. This is happening most ex- ex- expressly in the United States. Bafohamet is also one of the uh, patrons of Freemasonry, and which is to disrupt all uh, order, all accepted institutions, all things that have a sacredness and a reverence. And so nothing is sacred, nothing is reverent. And that's that's if you had to pick a, a specific high-ranking demon that epitomizes what we're experiencing, it is Bafohamet. Kyle, I want to just throw something in there. Now you just you just triggered something in my thoughts. The Temple of Satan, which is the most active satanic group in the United States, they're also politically connected with the Democrat Party, and these guys put that that Baphomet demon statue in public places around the country. And they're going from city to city, consecrating cities to that demon that you just mentioned. It makes sense now because they're actively, again, they're actively, uh, they've they've got protection and, and they've got cover to do what they do from the Democrat Party. Uh, they're going from city to city and they're consecrating the cities to that demon God that you just mentioned. And it's interesting. The connection is, well, what I see the fruits of what of, of their demonic consecrations, I see this this uh, you know rise in transgenderism. It's not a coincidence that the temple of Satan keeps on going from city to city, and uh, and 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 we seem to be dealing with this on a larger scale than ever before. You're right, Jesse, and I want to I want to hang here for just a moment because I really want to make this point. You're exactly right. So I'm going to ask you a question. You see uh, oftentimes just the uh, picture of Bafohamet seated as if he's a ruler with an instrument of governance in one or both hands. And oftentimes he's making a false sign of blessing um, with the other hand. In the extended um, configuration of a Bafohamet statue, what else is present? What other figures are present? I'd have to look at the picture again. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> I don't like to look at it very yeah, often. So, well, if you go to the one in Detroit, if you go to, to, to many of these, the more the more complete panorama includes three children. Oh, yeah. There are three children at his feet. And what I want you to see is that's I want mockery, you to see our lady mockery of Fatima. Fatima. That's a mockery of Fatima. That's exactly precisely what it is. And so to understand that Our Lady of Fatima is recognizable without the children in that image. Bafohamet is recognizable without the children. 
But when you expand the panorama and the image and the scene to include the children, you see precisely where the focus is. And their focus is, Bofohamet and all of those followers, the focus is the innocent, the children. My mind is exploding right now with what you guys just shared. I never heard... I never heard it this, I didn't know who was this deep, Dan and Kyle, you guys have done a great contribution. You guys should give this lecture to the USCCB. I'm not yeah. kidding. I think most bishops don't know this. That's what I'm guessing. Well, yeah, let me, let me add. Well, Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> no, no, no. Please, Dan. No, no, please finish. You're, you're a good train of thought. Well, I was going to kick an anthill and uh, the USCCB <laughs> populated with the rogues such as Cupich and McElroy and various other bad actors, you're going to kick an anthill when you point out the obvious. Remember that, that you know, if there's a superhero associated with this effort, it's Captain Obvious. And right. when you point out the obvious, they're not going to be happy. <laughs> we'll be back Wednesday War College with uh, Captain Obvious and Captain Obvious 2. My name is Jesse Romero. We'll be right back. Stick around. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement. Boy, oh boy, did I just uh, get a mouthful when I asked about uh, the question of uh, <clears throat> is transgenderism, is this uh, diabolic, is there's diabolic underpinnings? And uh, Dan, Kyle, and it's everybody, it's worth listening to the first segment again just to hear what they said. Get this program out to your family members and friends and evangelize them. I do want to add that Father Gabriel Morth, rest in peace, he did say in an interview, he says, the devil wants to confuse children about their gender. He said this in 2016, right before he passed away. Uh, Dan, what did you want to say? No, I was going to say a couple of things. Uh, um, recall the connection between Baphomet and um, three children and the Fatima. And we are living in the age of Fatima. We're living in the prophecies of Fatima. And think about the recent, there's a the Franciscan theologian, uh, Mariologist in Rome, who's been appointed to a certain dicastery to, dicastery to oversee private revelation uh, of the Blessed Mother in a modern period, who has said that a, a loving mother would never threaten chastisement of their children. And so you see a connection when you make the connection between Fatima and Baphomet, and now you see um, certain theologians that are out there saying, all that basically undermining the entire tradition and denying the, 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 the reality of Fatima and the, and the chastisements. But remember also in Fatima, one of the things that was, the Blessed Mother was asked by one of the three children about the errors of, of Russia, right? And, and one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the children asked, could even the United States, it was unthinkable that the errors of Russia could spread to the United States and she said, yes, even the United States could fall to the errors of, errors of Russia. And errors of Russia isn't just, isn't just uh, socialism uh, and, and glo global economic policy you know, by, by uh, Klaus Schwab and these others. The errors of Russia is also spread into the, 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 the witchcraft, the dark witchcraft that is practiced in that part of Europe. Those errors 
which all trace back to some of these same principal bad actors uh, seen all the way back to the beginning in the Old Testament. So, so we, we, we're seeing now living in this time of Fatima and, and, and the threat of chastisement and the demon who loves to leave his calling card. He, does, he cannot not throw himself and tell you who's working. He loves to tell you wh who he is. Uh, he's dropping his name. And, and we're seeing this as potentially, again, now I'm moving a little bit into speculation, but potentially here, uh, um, looking at the image, we see the transgender movement as a direct kind of a uh, in your face, thumb, thumb to the eye to the, the to Our Lady of Fatima. And that yeah, that's that's the way that's the way I interpret it as well. And after hearing you and Kyle go a little bit deeper on this, uh, Kyle, and, and the you always see that. Yeah, yeah that, that that's the image. You see this this. Beast, bestial, horned by dual gendered androgynous creature and, and, and overseeing uh, children, you know, overseeing little children to, to distort the image, uh, uh, their own, to start to distort their own self image. And we see this specifically now in this transgendered uh, drag queen uh, uh, movement now, which is just as, as you know, as, as vile as can be. It's, it's just distorting the innocence. Well, by the way, it's even, it's even, it's even made its way into, into many Catholic parishes, by the way. I just want to say it, that. It has, it has. You and yeah. I have discussed that offline and, and, yep. and, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's not, this is not, uh, 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 this is not only the Dodgers that are struggling with this. This has infiltrated um, into many of our parishes as well. This whole distorted Catholic schools in the same way. Kyle, any other thoughts uh, before we move on to another question from the audience? No, uh, you guys are you guys are spot on. The only other thing to add and accentuate is two points. One is that in the Baphomet image, you see an animal head, and so it's a lesser order over the body that is indicative of a higher order. You can there's all kinds of overlays where you can pick this image apart, but this idea of uh, the human um, animal con composite. Um, this militates directly against the integrity of, of, of the human person, the dignity of the human person. We see in it also, you hear about furries and about people who identify as animals, various animals, these things. So again, this is just another face of this exact same thing. At the heart of it, one of the fundamental things is we're being taught or we're being told, we're trying to be programmed that you cannot trust the absolute truth of your own anatomy that a physical feature mm -hmm. that is part of you your from your chromosomal makeup and your anatomy can't be trusted even that the absolute truth of that can't be trusted and that is um, that is a direct attack on who we are as humans and our conformity to reality so the understanding is very simple is that you are born a certain way. God chose your gender and you're born a certain way. You can either conform to that reality or you can rail against it or, and then their trump card is always, if you do not affirm me, I will end my life. And so it is, we're, we're giving in to the threat of murder. We're giving in to the threat that, what would you do, Jess, if, if I said, you'll either do this or I'll kill your children. Yeah. Well, that individual, that voice would be silenced. We would go after that and throttle it. But right. we seem to be powerless and paralyzed when someone threatens suicide. Um, we need to, to take them into account. We need to, you know, this is uh, what, what happens if we start saying you've made a terroristic threat or you've made a threat of murder against this person's child. You'll be incarcerated. 
the yeah. absurdity illustrates the point. Exactly. You know, one thing also, uh, Father Ripperger says that Baphomet is the fifth general uh, under Satan, who's the demon of child sacrifice and modern-day abortion. So uh, that, that's something else that I just wanted to throw in the mix. Let me ask another question. Go, go ahead. Another question from the audience that's come up, and I want Dan to uh, go at this one first. Uh, they're asking is, uh, if uh, you can pray when you're in mortal sin, or does God hear your prayers, or do your prayers have merit when you're in unconfessed, unrepentant mortal sin? Dan? Yeah, no, that, that church has been pretty clear on this. That, And this goes into a concept, a theological concept that's been largely ignored in the modern period, and that is the theology of merit. Um, we've lost, we've lost that, and we've thrown out the baby in the bathwater because of because of uh, certain regional limited abuses of the the, the system of merit um, that led up in part to the Reformation. At least that's claimed by some um, uh, of the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, um, the abuses of indulgences. Um, I I personally think there was more, much more to it than that. It's much more political than that. Um, but anyway, so. We've given we we've lost it because of that. We've lost the idea of merit, the treasury of merit, and so. But the church is very clear that uh, um, uh, the state of grace is what makes the soul, you know, uh, um, merit and the prayers of that soul merit. You know, and you and I have talked about this just in First John. I think it's First John chapter three or no, First John chapter five. Let me go through it so I don't uh, I don't quite have it memorized as you do, Jess. If anyone. <laughs> If First uh, John five sixteen, if anyone sees his brother sinning, this and this, if the sin is not deadly, he should pray to God, and that He will give him life. This is the only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as deadly sin, about which I do not say that you should pray. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that is not deadly. And so we see this distinction between in the developed tradition, um, uh, in the language, uh, the referential language of the scriptures leads to some of the more dogmatic language or doctrinal language of venial versus mortal sin and so in that state of mortal sin that those prayers are not meritorious this does not say that god doesn't hear those prayers um he certainly hears all of our prayers but those prayers are not meritorious and it, it'd be very dangerous if the implication is i'm going to pray over somebody else and i'm not in a state of mortal sin or i'm going to pray over somebody who's not i mean i'm not in a state of grace or i'm going to pray over somebody who's not in a state of grace who's in a state of mortal sin that creates a problem and and a vulnerability for both Kyle, you want to add something to that? I do. And Dan is exactly right. I want to key in on one thing he said. And that is that God hears the prayer. We are not going to be prepared for the answer. And I'll give you a couple of uh, our a primary example. And that is this. Is let's track what happens in the Exodus when the Hebrews begin to pray to God. They are in Egypt, a place of sin, a place where they should not be. And they begin to pray to God. What happens? It gets worse. God is hearing their prayer. God hears the prayer of the person in mortal sin, but his response is to increase the oppression, to increase increase the affliction, to increase the uh, presence of the diabolical until it gets to a point where the person is willing to say, now I am repentant. I'm willing to do what it takes to leave this place of sin. So God's initial answer when we cry out to him 
uh, creature to creator is an increase in actual grace, the grace to act, but it's also going to be, it's going to, to get worse. It's going to increase. We see this over and over in working people through the protocol. And so the person in mortal sin is, uh, it will get worse until they're willing to do what is necessary to perfect the metanoia, to return to God. And ultimately, God uh, allowed the uh, oppression to increase. And once that happens, it gets to a point where they're willing, they're, they're ready to say, without, I'm ready, whatever we have to do um, to, to leave this place. And so I think that's a good um, perspective to, to keep bear in mind. When we pray that our apostate, drug-addicted, tatted-up, deviant nephew returns to the faith, guess what? Things are going to get worse for him before they get better because he's not going to amend his life and change his ways unless he realizes there is a corporal consequence for his behavior. You're listening to Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. Uh, Got questions uh, that people have been asking from the audience, uh, and I've saved them for today. Yeah, there's many scripture passages which talk about, yeah, God wants us to repent so that God can can hear our prayers and God can act upon them. For example, it says in John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, notice obedience, God listens to him. Uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 1, 28, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. We'll be right back. we got more questions here at Wednesday War College. Spiritual warfare questions. Stick around. Wednesday War College talking about uh, a person in a state of mortal sin. Can God, does God hear his prayer? Or probably we should be asking, does God uh, pay attention or take heed to his prayer? Uh, I just want to mention that next week, before I get going to the next question, next week our good friend Michael Hitchborn from the Lepanto Institute is going to be giving some lectures over at the University of San Diego. Why? The University of San Diego, which is a Catholic university, is hosting the Association of United States Catholic Priests. Cardinal Robert McElroy will host the event and deliver the welcoming address. And so many Catholics are going to be joining Michael Hitchborn uh, next week uh, from 11 uh, to about 6 p.m. Well, 11 to 1 p.m., then 4 to 6 p.m. for a prayer rally, for prayers of reparation, because this group of uh, the Association of United States Catholic Priests, they, they're they modernist. They allow uh, material promoting same-sex marriage in their parishes. They support the adoption of children by homosexuals and lesbians. They honor champions of the LGBT activism at these, at these assemblies. They provide a platform uh, for pro-LGBT speakers at their assemblies, all these, these priests. They promote the glittery protests in support of drag queens, they support the sacramental ordination of women. Uh, they also want, they're com- conspiring to create priestless parishes run by deaconesses. And so this is a modernist group 
and it's supported by Cardinal McElroy. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm inviting you. If you want more information on this, go to LepantoN.org, LepantoN.org, LepantoN.org. My friend Michael Hitchborn is going to be leading a, a prayers of reparation over at the University of San Diego. Uh, for more information, you can go to that website, LepantoN.org, and get the flyer. All right, gentlemen, going back to uh, Wednesday War College, any other comments on, on somebody able to, uh, uh, well, here, here's a secondary question. People that go and get prayed over that are in mortal sin, let's say I want to go to uh, Miss O'Connor's prayer group on Wednesday night at the basement because I've been told that Miss O'Connor prays over people and drives demons out. And I've been struck, I've been slamming heroin. I'm a gang member. My body's all tatted up. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm very sexually unchaste. So I'm going to go to Mrs. O'Connor so she can put her hands on top of my head and drive the demon out. But I don't want to go to confession. I don't want to go back to mass. I don't want to live a clean, pure life. What's the danger of that, Dan? And then Kyle. Yeah, well, the danger is, um, um, remember, the state of grace is our, is our protection. So we can be in a state of grace, but if you're praying over somebody not in a state of grace, that you, you're going to look, God can work within with outside of the normal constructs of the authority structure of the hierarchy of the church. God can do these things, but he has given us ordinary and normal means, the uh, normative ways of driving out demons. So the danger is praying over people that are not in the state of grace. You'll light the demons up and 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 uh, but that but there could be a a. Uh, um, a uh, possibility of, of retaliation even if you're in a state of grace there's going to be some clinging spirits that are going to try to hang around that could hang around it's not deterministic you never know but but it's just again doing it properly and safely is, is the way to do that and and part of that is is uh and and also i hear people say well i know that it's working because he had you know the demon the demon's gone you know or that we had all these manifestations i think we have to distinguish as well between manifestation uh and extraction and liberation so you could have, uh, you know, Miss O'Connell at the parish hall could be praying over somebody. And that's great. I mean, they're trying to do what, you know, they're, they have good intentions per se, but, um, but, and they're, they're, what they're thinking of liberations are might just be manifestations. The demon, the demon is going to respond to the name of Jesus. It's going to respond to certain ecclesial formulae. It's going to respond to certain hand gestures, such as raising of hands and laying of hands. These are priestly gestures. The demon is going to respond to these things and you might get a manifestation. You often do get a manifestation. Sometimes you, be, you even might have an extraction where the larger the larger possessing demon will push forth a lower level demon. Remember, my name is Legion, for we are many. They'll push forth lower, weaker demons to take a beating, um, but but um, not be uh, liberated. So there might be some extractions, but there's a distinction I think that is often not made and not discerned among those. You might we you know we see this over and over again in cases where you'll have years of work on a certain case and it seems like you're getting these massive movements and what it is is a manifestation that may be an extraction you might be extracting a demon but you're not quite getting to the ultimate possessor and and getting uh, achieving a full liberation so the, 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 it's a complicated question and i probably gave a convoluted answer so i'll let kyle clean that up i followed oh. it attracted i think it'd be, i think it's exactly right i think there is a difference between uh extraction and liberation and that that's a differentiation so there's a superficial understanding and practice in this area that really requires a deeper formation but to jesse's uh, scenario specifically here's what you typically see 
is the guy goes, um, let's, let's say he's a gang member, whatever you, whatever. He experiences oppression increases to a point where he goes to the church for the charismatic prayer group. He's not going to the church for mass. He's not going to conform himself to the sacraments. He's not going to confession. He's going there and he elicits uh, a, a sympathy, not uh, someone who tells him, repent, go and change your ways, change your life. That's not what he gets. He gets a false sympathy. He gets to tell his story. And there is a manifestation because there is a demon there. And then the demon realizes that, okay, this is all going to be good. They're not actually going to expel me. And if they do, I'm going to be able to get right back in because ultimately the person receives an emotional consolation, not a reconciliation with God the Father. So in this case, the charismatic prayer group has actually been used by the demon to keep the person from going to the sacrament, from being reconciled with God the Father, from making a firm amendment of life, from doing the things that are necessary to be truly liberated. And so the demon's willing to, to say, okay, you, yeah, you ran me out, there's an extraction. In the same way that the wife beater, when the police show up, he has a whole different demeanor and story. As soon as the police leave, and maybe a day or two later, he's back to beating her. And so that's essentially what's happening in these charismatic prayer groups, is sometimes there's a consolation, sometimes there is an emotional consolation as a result of venting and spewing the sins of others to the exclusion of our own but there's not a return to the sacraments and a firm amendment of life. That's what affects liberation. And Dan, yeah. I think I've heard, I've heard both of you guys say before in the past is that if the soul is not in a state of grace, that mortal sin, those mortal sins become holding points for the demons were uh, basically, you know, they feel quite comfortable there. They're holding on They're They're not being extracted because uh, the place is dirty. They're, demons are impure spirits. And uh, they're in in an impure body. They feel quite welcome there. Uh, And so until the body, until the soul is purified, until the soul is reoriented back to God the Father through Jesus Christ and the sacraments, the demon has holding points to the mortal sins. Is that right? Yeah, there's that. There's also holding points in psychological trauma. What what the concept that Kyle has really developed uh, with Father Ripperger is the concept of psychological compatibility. So I was at a, at, a, at a large city not long ago, last, sometime this year, and afterwards there were people I wanted to ask questions, and, and I waited, I, I, people were waiting for two, two and a half hours because people are so hurting, and, they, and they, they want to help through this diabolical issue and themselves or their family. Three different people came up to me and said, I went to Father so-and-so, and he prayed over me. He did exorcism over me, and, and, and it must be really bad because he's an exorcist, or he's at least praying exorcism, he's a priest, and I'm not being liberated, and so, you know, one particular one, um, I said, you know, and all three of them, um, and my quick, and my experience, but my quick and dirty assessment was, yeah, this might be psychological, so the problem is, you pray for somebody who has psychological problems, one particular one was definitely psychological, Uh, it was psychological, and it was drug-drug interactions, her husband was a doctor, and he confirmed that, so the problem is when you pray for somebody who not only not in a state of grace, but let's say their, their operant issue is some acute mental trauma, you pray over them. The first thing the demon's going to do is go, see, see, even Jesus can't save you. Even Jesus can't help you. So you place the soul in, a, in, a, in an even graver state because psychologically now that you, you've just uh, undermined any ounce of hope that they may have had. 
So, so, so we ha- there's there's no discernment of the psychological, which is which which in the gunslinging type model, uh, and even the Roman model where you pray everybody for nine hours, uh, pray over somebody for nine hours and try to beat the demon up without assessing the psychological and addressing. That is another holding point, and and sometimes, as Kyle has said, this is an act of it's a it's an act of violation of charity to pray over somebody if you haven't. Uh, ferreted that out and got their humanity back in order to be able to receive this prayer. Kyle, any thoughts before we wrap it up? Precisely right, Jesse. He, uh, Dan is articulating that principle extremely well. I'd like to cycle back and just let people know there's still room for a couple of men on the single men's retreat with Father Riffiger at Louis Lake Lodge last week in June. Our newsletter went out this just yesterday in the you'd like to be on that newsletter e-newsletter list uh go to info at montecristo.net and then finally i'll start the sanctifier book study uh starting january uh, july the third and that's the sanctifier by archbishop martinez and that'll be on nine consecutive mondays um so if you want information on that go to montecristo.net and buy dan's book go ahead and order it now buy the book and um that is just going to be a wonderful resource for every Catholic home. Dan, what's the name of your book? Uh, the Libra Cristo Method, a manual for spiritual combat. Yeah, I think most most men are, this is going to uh, help the body of Christ in a big way because there's so many men that are just dealing with with either psychological or diabolical affliction. And a lot of them can help themselves, but they just don't know how. Nobody's ever walked them by the hand and say, okay, dude, this is how you do it. This is how you do right. a push-up. This is how you do a pull-up. This is how you do a sit-up. And that's what your book does, Dan, is you're teaching everybody, but especially men who are the patriarchs, how to live a clean, pure life and uh, reorient their mind and their heart back to back to God the Father. So uh, thanks a lot, Dan. You've done a big service to Holy Mother Church. I can't wait till the book comes out because uh, I'm going to be uh, sharing this with people left and right. Yeah, yeah, well, we encourage you to buy, encourage you to, and really, again, it just goes back to uh, what you point out in, in one of your earlier books is just living in a state of grace. That's absolutely critical. How do we talk about merit and the merit of our prayers? The, the depth of our holiness, the depth of our state of grace um, makes it very, very difficult uh, for the enemy to, 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 to cling on to, and he'll find an easier target, ultimately. Uh, the holier we are, the, the more liberation, the more freedom we experience. That's right. You've been listening to Wednesday War College. Uh, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. Uh, thanks a lot, gentlemen. You guys have been a, a tremendous show today. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, we are out. We are EOW, end of watch. We'll see you guys next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Remember, June, the sacred heart of Jesus. Say throughout the day, these short ejaculation prayers. Uh, Sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. God bless you. Keep the faith.